right, welcome everyone to this week's Freightonomics episode. I'm Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence. And with me as always, Anthony Smith, chief economist. Today, we've got a really big show. Uh, you know, I'm fresh off of yet another trip. Uh, I seem to just, I should just get an RV at this point. <laughs> Uh, fresh off another trip, uh, went to the Gartner conference. So I'm going to recap a few of those findings, but we also have very special guests. Anthony? We do. We have not just one Dr. Rogers, but we have two Dr. Rogers here joining us today. So we're excited about that one because there's, this was a little bit of a different LMI update. And we'll get into that a little bit mm -hmm. later because there were some differences in the first half of the month versus the second half of the right. month. But yeah, I'm excited about this episode. Yeah. So for those of you that aren't familiar with our show, uh, we discuss basically the supply chain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Freightonomics, another fancy term for supply chain, uh, really, because the supply chain is very interested in the aggregate movement of goods and services, or goods, I should say, not services so much, <laughs> even though they do have an impact. Uh, whereas logistics and freight is more that tactical day-to-day -day function, how those goods transition. So uh, really, we should just rename the show. <laughs> we should, maybe we should. <laughs> maybe we should. Uh, but I mean, maybe more people will watch. But anyway, if you are watching uh, us uh, here at noon, we're live every Thursday at noon on FreightWaves.com. But also uh, check us out on YouTube. Uh, make yeah. sure that you also subscribe. That's right. Subscribe, mm -hmm. like, share. Mm -hmm. Give it a share, you know. Or don't like. You don't have to. You don't if, have you, to like. if you don't like it, that's fine. Just don't downvote it. it was, it's fine. It's fine. Do what you <laughs> want. It's a free country. Anyway, if I'm looking down, I'm not being rude. I am looking at LinkedIn because as of now, we are live and we're streaming. And so if you want to jump into the conversation, you have something to add, have a question, want to get Zach canceled, jump in there. Let it be known. You know, I had a good run. So <laughs> uh, let's get it started. So I went to the Gartner Conference, Supply Chain Conference down in Orlando. And of course, I'm not going to give any, any way any specifics uh, to this, but the high-level takeaways from this show, I, I think it, it just, it was very validating. Mm. <laughs> uh, validating for me, and you know, we, we get into the data and the weeds of the data a lot, but sometimes you get a little tunnel vision and you look at your own stuff and you start thinking, you know, you get the confirmation bias rolling, but almost everything that I heard down there, Anthony, was very, validated everything that we've been talking about. Right. Like, I, I can't find one thing <laughs> that I can say that there was a discrepancy between what we've been talking about and their experience. So it's always nice to get that real world, uh, you know, what have people been going through? And some of my biggest takeaways uh, for you supply chain professionals that are out there that didn't get to go to the Gartner conference uh, is that everybody is kind of on the same page here. Uh, if you are, uh, you know, somebody that's managing SNOP, sales and ops planning, uh, you are feeling a lot of the same, you are probably feel, like everybody's on the same boat as you. Uh, demand forecasting completely uh, out the window. Uh, some of the strategies I heard for dealing with that were almost, uh, it was mind-blowing. But uh, at the same time, it, you're, you can just realize that your demand forecasting ability has been greatly hampered and everybody in almost every industry uh, is feeling it. Uh, another big takeaway is people are struggling with flexibility. Uh, right now, that when once they get one thing figured out, something else changes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, I, I think we can all relate to that in the in the last couple of years. But uh, supply side forecasting in terms of availability of goods, availability of raw materials, and then the transportation lead times for getting those goods and materials has expanded dramatically over the last uh, year or so. 
Um, and that makes it, whenever you do get the demand forecast right, difficult to fulfill those orders. And of course, it comes into inventory management and planning. I heard about so many people uh, getting a hold of inventories that they have nowhere to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, last week, we we're also talking about to uh, Dr. Rogers about some of the issues with some people keeping work inventory that's not yet finished, yeah. um, products that are not yet finished, but sometimes there are damages, unforeseen events that happen. And now all this inventory that you're holding on that was just going to be used to complete this other component is now no longer good for use. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, when, you're, when you are managing a supply chain, you, you've actually had a relatively, and then a lot of people reflected this. I don't want to say that it was an easy job. It was relatively easy compared to the current environment for sure. Uh, but you didn't have to worry about all the moving pieces uh, before COVID that you have to consider now. Uh, so now there's things that you could get away with before. I heard about a lot of like, you know, a lot of bad habits were rewarded pre-COVID because you didn't have to worry about all this maritime disorder, uh, you know, availability of production. You kind of had this stable system to work with and you did not have to hedge your exposure to all these places. So a lot of people are working on trying to diversify, obviously this is, I don't think this is terribly new. Uh, they're trying to diversify a lot of their upstream situation yeah. <laughs> uh, to make sure that they don't get overly exposed to these dramatic shifts. Of course, geopolitics, uh, a huge thing. Uh, labor, still a huge issue. Yeah. Uh, so here's another, there's my last takeaway from the Gartner Conference uh, situation. Labor, they, there's been more integration with human resources inside of supply chain management uh, to where they can now replace and know more about uh, their labor demand needs. Uh, so a little bit of integration there. And we all know inside that corporate uh, environment, uh, the big companies, a lot of siloing going on, a lot of barriers to break down. Uh, so this is actually a pretty big, yeah, this is a pretty big move. <laughs> right. You know, having been in the space myself, uh, over time, when you have integration between departments, that's actually a really big deal, especially the larger the company you get. Uh, and then finance, mm. finance side integration. This is this seems like a common sense play, <laughs> but uh, there are barriers between the languages uh, in these environments. You have supply chain language and you have uh, financial language. Right. And a lot of times the ops language and the financial language do not line up. Uh, they have very different definitions. Uh, so that's becoming more of an integrative uh, process as, of course, supply chain managers' budgets uh, have been blown apart, both coming and going uh, on the demand and the supply side. Yeah, and I think this is kind of something that we were talking to parts of last year, um, not specifically this situation, but just in general from a macroeconomic view, that um, especially back in my consultant days that I just kind of shudder about, um, <laughs> you, you think about times of exponential growth and you think about times where there's just so much activity to be had, it covers up for a lot of mistakes. Um, and that's just like everything with life. I know with sports, if you were just fast, they say speed kills, you could cover up a lot of mistakes if you just had poor technique with other aspects. Yep. At the higher level you get, the more competition that comes along, you can have to fine tune some things just like in any, any kind of macroeconomic environment or any kind of business situation, when the times are good, you can kind of make some mistakes. It's not going to be too exactly. you know, harsh on the bottom Revenue line. Revenue cures a lot of ills. It, it covers up a everything, lot of ills. <laughs> everything. And then when times get hard, yep. it, it gets a little bit rough. So lessons learned here are yeah. make sure that you are constantly focused on doing the right thing. <laughs> Even if you're making enough money to get away with it now, doesn't mean that you're going to do it later. And that may, and obviously a lot of people are already figuring this out, but that was, that was one of my biggest takeaways. So 
Before we bring on the Rogers boys, uh, I want to talk about one thing because one of the big headaches at the Gartner Conference was not understanding where they stood within the, gr the greater environment. Mm -hmm. So the larger environment itself. Benchmarking, of course, something we do here at Freight Waves very well with our Sonar platform. Uh, so Henry Byers had a big coming out this week. Yeah. <laughs> our, our maritime uh, you know, head of ocean intelligence uh, here at Freight Waves. Brilliant guy. He's been on our show several times. Should have him on more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, if you were at our Future of Supply Chain event, you saw him present our new Ocean Atlas product, which is an extremely valuable tool for anybody looking for demand-side forecasting and also supply chain uh, disruptions. Mm. Measures lead times uh, inside of it. But he writes this article talking about how import bookings have plummeted over the last, really, just a few weeks. And it just goes to show you that the market and the environment are, can change overnight. Uh, so I, I want to pull up our, our chart here for IOTI. And I show this chart relatively often here. And it measures, it's an index that measures import bookings by estimated time of departure from their origination ports for all TEUs coming from all over the globe into the United States. Anthony, you don't have to be a mathematician to see this 35% drop. <laughs> that is down there. And that's a 35% drop really in the matter of a few weeks. Right. So if I pulled this chart out, I wanted to shrink it a little bit for scaling purposes just to show you the current environment. But if I pulled it all the way out, we're actually moving back to where it was pre-COVID. Gotcha. Uh, and this is, this is not going to manifest itself in surface transportation tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it may manifest itself here in the next month or so because we're currently around a 35, 30 to 35 day lead time before this freight actually hits the United States. So import demand really waning at this point by this being one of our earliest signs and most significant drops uh, that we've seen at this point. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at this chart, yeah, there are ups, there are downs, but the downs are quickly corrected mm -hmm. and it goes right back up. This is a downward, a sustained downward movement. Yeah. It's a substantial downward movement and it doesn't look like one of those that's just going to pop right back up. No, no. This is If you're in a technical analysis in any way, this is a huge breakthrough yeah. <laughs> in terms of trend and overriding value because we've broken through a floor, yeah. a, a year-long floor at that. Uh, if I broke it out all the way to like five years, you would see that we're still not all the way back to where we were. But considering we've become addicted to this amount of freight, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, once you start adjusting to higher levels, you now set the bar a little higher yeah. in terms of your overall infrastructure. So we have grown our infrastructure, even though it hadn't felt like it, uh, in, our, in our capabilities and what we're expecting to deal with. So, so I guess the point here is supply chain managers should start to feel a little less burden here. But also, this isn't great news. As a lot of people are starting to figure out on the macroeconomic side, we may be in uh, for a little bit of a downturn that's not quite fully manifested yet. Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the macroeconomic indicators, there are just so many puzzle pieces. I think the biggest one that has really kind of been showing itself over the last really over a year has been in the jobs market. And that's one that I kind of harp on all the time. Um, maybe we can talk to uh, the, the Rogers Let's doctors them about them soon. Let's about go ahead that. and bring them on. Let's bring Let's them bring on. <laughs> all right. There we go. I, I, I had to get out a little bit of words first, <laughs> but I don't want to eat up any more of you guys' time uh, because we got a lot to go through and I'm really uh, interested in what you guys are saying. So welcome uh, Dr. Dale and Zach Rogers to our show. Uh, thanks for coming back again, uh, Dad. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be here. I'm I'm uh, I'm here in Colorado to uh, to see my son and his family, but also 
attend uh, several dance recitals this oh. weekend, which uh, apparently is what grandpas do. So I've been really working on my my tap. Uh, <laughs> so you know they they, uh, they they grow up so fast, <laughs> Doctor Taylor. Hey, I got it. You, you know, I got to I got to talk about something that you mentioned in the introduction, Zach. Okay. So you were talking about sort of that that uh, difference between the finance language and the supply chain language. And you know, uh, one of the really interesting things we've seen these last few years is that the purposes of supply chains is evolving. So it, it supply chain management always used to be about make, source, deliver. But today, supply chain is really about finance. It's about it's about funding the organization and occasionally using the organization to fund the supply chain. But, you know, the best and most valuable companies the last several years, companies like Apple and so on, really use their supply chain as a source of funding um, and financing the corporation. And if you're interested in, in this and you don't have to be, but, but there is a, a, a book about it. Um, uh, that came out in 2020 by Rogers, uh, Leuschner, and Choi. Um, uh, Tom Choi is uh, at ASU, and and Rudy uh, Leuschner is at Rutgers, and is an old um, a student of mine. And um, and the thesis of the of the book relates to what you're talking about, and then it's more important than ever for supply chain managers to understand finance and finance language. Because the supply chain is expected to really fund the organization because the the best capital um, uh, that is available to a company also comes out of often comes out of the supply chain, which means your your suppliers. So you're allowing your suppliers to actually fund your 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 company as opposed to using debt capital, equity capital, and so on. Any rate, I, I, I like what you said. That's, that's, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that and chimed in there because one of the things that surprised me the most about our conversations was a lot of them are now managing working capital. Uh, that, and, and so, right. so relevant. So say the name of the book one more time because I want everybody to hear it if they're interested because I am. Uh, let's see. What is the name of the book? I, I wrote it, so it's <laughs> okay. like I should remember it. It's supply chain financing. It's uh, financing. It's available on Amazon. I don't remember. I'm I'm embarrassed. I'll figure out the name of the book. <laughs> okay. Supply chain. It's supply chain funding the organization, and I don't know. I I, I forgot the name of the book. I wrote it. I just forgot the name. <laughs> okay. Of the book. Okay. Well, Doctor Z can can, can Google it. <laughs> in yeah, the middle or something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's let's start things off here with and that, and thank you for that. Any kind of insight is obviously chime in wherever you want to. Uh, but I, I think so. Where we stand with today's current environment, we uh, the LMI of course came out. I would love to get a little bit of a recap of where what we saw uh, here in May. Uh, you know, we've seen inventories continue to grow and expand, which has been a huge headache. Has there been any other fundamental changes in the LMI that stick out to you guys? There's been a couple of things that have happened. So the overall LMI, and again, to remind everybody, any number over 50 means uh, expansion. Any number under 50 means contraction. The overall LMI came in at, at 67.1. 
in May, which is down from from where we were in in April and certainly where we were in in March when we had our our highest reading ever. We were at seventy six, although it's still above uh, it's still above the all time average. And, and like you said, a lot of it has to do with with inventories. So inventories uh, continue to be very very high. Uh, they were a 69.3, our inventory levels for May, which is down a little bit uh, from what we've seen uh, earlier this year. But earlier this year, um, you know, January, February, March, April were four of our five highest readings of all time. So right. it's down a little bit, but <laughs> still still well above uh, what we would normally see. Um, and it's funny because this is the time of the year generally when we start to ramp inventories up. So we would expect usually June, July, August, we start to get into back to school. And then we start to get into, uh, you know, all the Q4 holiday stuff. And so it's it's funny that for the first five months of the year, we've seen pretty significant, robust inventory growth, when normally this would be sort of a, a fallow period. And, and, uh, and one of the things, yeah, you, you can see how how much we struggled with inventories for a while there. Um, and and so one of the things that you can really, uh, I think, really see the difference in, uh, you know, in May is, is the warehousing piece of this. So warehousing, of course, uh, has been busy for the last two years. I think the last time we saw positive growth for warehousing capacity was back in August of 2020. So we've had Two years essentially of of warehouse capacity contracting, and in 2021 that was because inventory was moving through it so quickly. And in 2020, it's because inventory sort of just stuck there. You know, uh, you you mentioned in the beginning some of the inbound TEU stuff. One of the things about the ports that I think we're missing a lot of is that even once we get past the ports, there's nowhere to put any inventory. Right. I mean, that's the biggest thing that's slowing down all of these ports right now. It's not dock workers. It's not capacity. It's how do we get the containers out of here and put them somewhere else? Because there's just nowhere uh, nowhere to locate these ports. I mean, right now, uh, Port of New York, New Jersey, Port of Savannah, Port of Charleston, they have more containers sitting on their docks than they've ever had before. Um, and it's because there's nowhere to put, uh, nowhere to put all this stuff. But, but, you know, sometimes I come on here and I feel like it's all bad news. <laughs> but but one thing that's really interesting um, is we broke it out uh, into early and and late May, um, early and late May numbers this 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 month, and warehousing in early May, so May first through the sixteenth, uh, came in at thirty eight point one, so a really uh, tight rate of of contraction, really strong contraction. May seventeenth to the thirty first, though, it was a fifty point seven which means the littlest, tiniest margin of growth. But growth, it would be, again, the first time we've seen growth in that metric since August of, of 2020. And so it could be... Now, interestingly, prices uh, and utilization for warehouses were also higher in the second half of, of May. So it's not like warehouses are getting cheaper by any means. But it does seem like we are starting to see a little bit of an easing on the capacity side, and whether that's companies starting to wind through some of this backlog, Amazon putting 10 million uh, square feet, uh, you know, onto the lease market and sort of stepping back uh, from their pursuit of gobbling up every square inch mm -hmm. 
uh, of potential warehousing space and letting that middle class move in a little bit. Whatever it is, we saw a little bit of a softening. And it's very much like what we saw with transportation in the second half of March this year. So the first half of March, transportation capacity was tight and it had been tight for two years. And then in the second half of March, and this had a lot to do with diesel prices, suddenly things started to soften up. And now with transportation, they continued softening. And now we have the highest level of transportation capacity growth that we've had since 2019. And so it remains to be seen what will happen with the warehousing side. But in the second half of May, we did see some softness. Maybe it's a blip, um, but we saw something shift. And Zach, when you're looking at some of the reports that are coming out now, because we've been talking about inventories for some time. I mean, I know the first kind of... um, part where it kind of hit the radar, I think for you was back last year in December, uh, or maybe November, December, going into January as well, talking about seeing those increases in those unseasonably times. Now, we're seeing these reports of, you know, um, large uh, producers and shippers really saying, hey, we have a lot of inventory, we have to work through that. Can you talk to what's going on through your mind, (laughs) um, kind of already kind of see this happen six months ago? Yeah, right. So in December, we did uh, call the the bullwhip effect. And that's because inventories went up in December, which for those of you who haven't paid a lot of attention to business class, inventory is not supposed to go up in December. (laughs) And uh, and so it went up in December. We thought, well, that's weird. And uh, the thing about the bullwhip effect is it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. So we see... Uh, you know, we, it's normal to see this, this kind of fluctuation. One thing that's interesting, you know, there's that article in the Wall Street Journal uh, that target the inventory bloodbath, which uh, I got to I gotta credit you guys for starting <laughs> bloodbath as a term that we use in headlines now. Um, and, and what's interesting, though, is if you look at it, the turnover is still pretty high. Turnover hasn't slowed down that much uh, when you look at rates of inventory turnover from 2022, uh, you know, from 2021. And if you look at where it was in 2019, rates of turnover are actually pretty similar. And so really what we're seeing, I think, is sort of a shift towards normalcy in the American uh, consumer. You know, consumer spending keeps on growing, uh, but it's not growing at the crazy breakneck runaway pace that we saw last year. And, and one thing that I think is interesting, Anthony, you mentioned the jobs uh, report at the beginning. There was a lot of focus on the fact that okay, we gained 390,000 jobs, great, but we lost 61,000 retail jobs. And so that was sort of a, oh, see, look, consumer spending, we're slowing down 61,000 less retail jobs. But we gained 84,000 leisure and hospitality jobs. And we gained 31,000 logistics jobs between warehousing and, and transportation. And so really what we're seeing is consumer behavior continues to grow but it's not necessarily growing in that good space where we needed, you know, more trucks and more containers and everything. And it's moving back towards uh, back towards the services side. And normally you see a move towards services in the summer months because people go to, you know, well, they, they come up uh, to Colorado or they go to <laughs> concerts or they go to baseball games. Or all the, the services really is, you know, big movies come out in the summer. A, a lot of summer is based on services. And so I, I think that, yes, we, we're seeing a normal move, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see continued consumer growth and the normal seasonal shift back towards goods as we start to get to the fall and the winter. You know, and another piece of this, too, I think, is uh, a shift in the consumer. 
So you go back uh, during the pandemic. I, I think an example of of this ship, shift is what we've seen with Target just this mm-hmm. this week. So so um, uh, several retailers are having record sales, and and some are not doing as well because yep. when if you compare these recent months versus the pandemic months there's been a shift in the type of consumer spending. So like, for instance, you couldn't give away, say, formal wear during the pandemic, but now it's a relatively hot topic. Uh, Lowe's had, you know, poor earnings recently uh, because Lowe's tends to be um, a a home improvement um, retailer for projects usually driven by the woman that lives in the house, truthfully. And um, and uh, and those projects are mostly over right, right. now. We're, we're moving to... But Home Depot is still strong because well, you know, that's, that's contractors. contractors. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it, so there's, there's and, and plus there's also the, the crazy stuff that's happening with supply chains that we don't even necessarily see the impact. I have this idea, I've never published it, but I call it the rule of three months. So if there's a disruption, like what hap- what's been happening in Shanghai, you, you a lot of times don't see it until three months later. I remember one time I was given a speech, it was in uh, June of 2012, so about 10 years ago, and, um, and I was a little nervous about it because the guy who was before me was a famous guy. Then it was going to be me. And I'm speaking and all of a sudden people are running out of the room and I'm thinking, man, this is not going well. But what had really happened is it was the AIAG, the Automotive uh, Industry Action Group. So it was all the, the big automotive OEMs. And, um, and they had just realized that three months earlier, this plant that made a resin called PA12 Evonik was the name of the company uh, had blown up and they thought they were diversified from a supply base. All of a sudden they weren't. And they realized it text messaging together while I was given a speech that they all ran out of the room for. And, and, um, and it, it's usually about three months, maybe two months after a disruption that you really start to feel the heat from that. So the shutdowns in Shanghai, and the, the lockdowns across China are really affecting us starting about now. We'll really start to see that bite in July and August. Plus the war, um, we'll see some impacts of that, that that will filter throughout the U.S. economy probably in a month or two. So we're seeing shifts in what consumers are doing, but then we're also seeing some of these uh, macro impacts of, of supply chain trends that are going to be problematic as we move into the summer and fall, I think. Yeah, I mean, so one of the big topics, obviously, was that demand-side forecasting at the, at the conference I was just at. Uh, so I kind of want to shift into that for a minute, because you talked about, uh, Dr. Zach <laughs> Rogers, uh, you talked about how you think it's going to be a shift back to normal. Now, I, I kind of want everybody to put on their macroeconomic hat for a minute uh, and, and kind of dive into that because I guess the concern from my perspective is this inflationary environment has kind of been propped up 
by wage growth. Everybody obviously has been shuffling around the job market. There's a lot of inefficiency now at a lot of these jobs and a, well, a lot of these workspaces because you lose all this in institutional information. Replacing somebody takes months, if not years, depending on the level of expertise. Uh, so that feels like that's something that's going to persist. Do you think that that's going to be enough? Or, do you, or is there something else that you think is going to be enough to overcome this overwhelming inflationary environment right now to keep the consumer uh, kind of robust because what we're looking at in some of these credit card uh, data, the, obviously the revolving <laughs> credit card uh, information or the revolving debt uh, has been exploding here of le- recent. So it almost feels like they're kind of just paying it forward a little bit right now. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, there's a couple of things. One, I, you know, betting against Americans spending more money than they have is a losing game. And it has right. been for a long time. Um, but, but you know, I, I do think we, we've hit the peak of inflation, right? We're not going to keep seeing 8.5% every single month, unless something crazy happens. I mean, who knows? But, but it doesn't seem like, like that's what's coming in. And there's still the fundamental stuff where, look, back to school is still going to happen. Um, Christmas is still going to happen. All these things are still coming and and we're going to figure that out. Um, now, again, it, it might not be the same level of spending on, on hard consumer goods, especially if you're in a, a sector like apparel. I don't know if, if that's a good place to be uh, this year. Uh, you know, everyone bought a lot of clothes last year or, or home goods, or if you sell Pelotons, I don't think that's, that's probably a good place to be either. But I think, Really, all we're seeing is is a reshuffling of of the uh, of the economy, and and I think that consumer spending has gone up almost every month, uh, almost every month this year. It went down in December um, because of uh, Omicron, okay. essentially, and because and availability. We, yeah, and we had spread out sales so much into November and October of last year. You know, we kind of made the holiday season start earlier last year in terms of shopping. Um, but I don't think that that's, uh, you know, we keep seeing growth in consumer spending. Even last month, it was up 0.7%. Now, it's not growing at the same rate that we had seen it. And because we have all of this inventory already in the system, and that happened at the same time that the rate of growth for spending slowed down, we are seeing a bit of a pause. You put Shanghai on top of that, the price of diesel on top of that. And it's kind of a perfect storm that's seen everything slow down right now. But I think if we get forward into the fall, and a couple of things happen in the fall. One, back to school, Christmas, all the, the normal spending times will happen. Inventories will continue to, to run down, the big inventories that we propped up. Plus, some of the inventory was stuff that we kind of had to wait right. until fall came to sell anyway. Um, and so that'll happen. And, and I think we'll see a shift to normalcy, especially as... Uh, in exports coming out of China ramp back up. You know, I saw articles about, oh, the stuff coming out of TEUs out of Shanghai are still low. Well, it's not like Shanghai was going to open on Wednesday and then full boats were going to be headed out on Thursday. You know, the lockdown didn't just affect the ports. It affected component suppliers all the way up the supply chain. And so those components have to get moving again. And then inventory has to go downstream and then be manufactured and then move to docks. And so, you know, it, supply chains are a perpetual motion machine. And when you stop them, it takes a long time for them to get warmed up again. And so I think we will see them warmed up again on the, the supply side uh, by the fall. 
And I don't think that that uh, we're going to move into a, a place of real stagflation where we see inflation just keep going up and consumers unable to spend. We, we're, we're Americans. We'll figure out how to spend money. <laughs> you know what, though? Part of it is you got to look at the, the sources of inflation, as Zach was kind of a, alluding to. So so you got to figure that that two or three points of the inflation probably comes from the the Fed um, not necessarily managing that that well. Um, the bulk of inflation, though, is coming from supply shortages. And um, the, the normalcy, we hope, is that we'll get to the end of that with all the shutdowns, the war, a uh, shift in uh, consumer demand types. And then the, the craziest thing to, to me and, and um, you know, uh, I try not to be political, but truthfully, both parties have been terrible about this. So if you look at the Trump tariffs, that's probably added a point to inflation, half a point to a point on inflation, um, because we've, the, the, the purchases from China have been really incredible growth. Um, since we put those tariffs on, you know, China has taken the tariffs seriously. They've slowed down purchases from us, but in the U.S., we're up 20, 25 percent on purchases from China, and really, those tariffs are really punishments to American consumers. The crazy thing is, you would have expected President Biden, because one of the ways to manage the inflation and knock a point off pretty much immediately would be to get rid of those China tariffs. I know we want to uh, discipline China and we want to manage them, but um, some of the inflation, uh, I would guess about a point of it. So 10 to 15% somewhere in there of inflation are those Chinese tariffs. And it's crazy that we're not yeah. taking those off immediately. So, so you know, the, the Fed probably is rethinking their strategy. The supply shortages will, we think, work their way out. And that's probably the bulk of inflation. But something that we could do immediately would be right. cut those tariffs. It, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. It was crazy when Trump put them on. And it's crazy that Biden hasn't taken them off. Yeah. I think that's a definitely easy fix that they could be done right away, as you mentioned. When you're thinking about inflation and inflationary pressures, especially looking at upstream, there's some thoughts around um, some producers, some shippers still taking on some inflationary pressures that haven't really been fully passed on to the consumer. Some individuals or some companies that are CPG uh, facing might want to maintain some of that market share. So they're afraid to uh, bump up prices just because they, maybe they might lose market share. Any thoughts around company health or, or, or shippers' health moving forward if they aren't able or if they're refusing to pass on some of those price increases just yet? You know, what's funny is, is we ask our respondents every month, hey, you know, where is this going in the next 12 months? And we saw real differences between upstream and downstream respondents in warehousing prices and inventory costs. And so here, here's what that, that difference means. So retailers are expecting increases in inventory and warehousing prices. But even more so, significantly more, uh, significantly higher expectations are coming from wholesalers and distributors and 3PLs and, and places like that. So it's, it's 10 points higher on warehousing prices. 
and 11 points higher on, on inventory costs, what they're expecting over the next 12 months. And what that tells you is that retailers are squeezing their upstream suppliers. You know, kind of the middleman. Because you, okay, you need the manufacturer, you need the retailer. We could put it in any warehouse between here and there, though. And so that that middleman, that middle step, is the one who often gets squeezed when there's price pressures. And they're expecting. I mean, the the numbers for warehousing prices is 87, and for inventory costs is 88 over the next 12 months, which would be you know absolutely stratospheric continuation of the high prices we've seen so far. And so I think there is some cost you can pass on to consumers. And I think one of the ways that we were able to absorb, that companies were able to absorb these really high costs over the last year was by passing them to consumers. But, you know, shift to services, work through the stimulus and savings account, inflation. You can't pass things along, I think, as easily as you could before. And it's that middle step, those middle three PLs and, and, and distributors who are the ones who are going to get squeezed over the next year. Yeah. Can you picture the conversations that are happening this week, given, you know, like what happened with Target this mm-hmm. week between buyers at, at Target and, and Walmart and their suppliers? Can you kind of picture how those might go? <laughs> I bet I bet you can. I, I mean, that's, that's a good point. Like, I, I, let's talk about the Target and Walmart situation a little bit, because I think that's obviously very relevant and topical. How... Do you think that what they're dealing with right now was avoidable? Or do you think that this is just like an inevitability given that these transitional states are extremely difficult to predict? They had a Sophie's Choice uh, <coughs> last year. So the, the, there was two choices. There was, you know, charter our own ships, have way too, and have a lot of inventory and not miss sales, or don't do it and, and leave a bunch on the table over, over Christmas and the holiday season. And unsurprisingly, they chose well, what will be good in the short term? And then we'll deal with the consequences long term. That's, that's not, you know, it's like when you give a kid a marshmallow. And, you know, it's the same, same exact principle. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys ever took a, an intro to supply chain class where you had to play the beer game, but everyone at Colorado State has to do it. And I know they do it at Arizona State and they did it at the University of Nevada back in the 90s. Zachary and used to be a truck driver. I was. I was a corrupt uh, truck driver in the 90s <laughs> for the beer game. Um, I would take quarters from the students <laughs> and give them extra chips. But, uh, but in, which was a lot like real life, I think. And, and so, but anyway, uh, in the beer game, what happens is inventories go up because demand goes up. And then when demand drops down, you have too much inventory. And then you get into that normal hog cycle of we're up, we're down, we're up, we're down. And you normally see companies having too much. It's just that because of the historic spike in demand, we had a historic spike in too much inventory. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so I don't know that there was a good way to avoid it because the alternative is, right, you could have been companies like, I don't know, American Eagle or something like that or or Foot Locker. Well, they weren't able to get inventory over in time for Christmas. And now they also have too much inventory because it all showed up late. Uh, you could also do what Under Armour is doing. Under Armour just canceled $200 million of, of imports because it's not going to get here in time. You know, Under Armour, one of their really big seasons is like when fall sports are starting up and, you know, football and soccer and all that stuff. They want to have stuff on the shelves for football players who need to go buy, buy shorts. Um, well, that's not going to be here. So Under Armour just canceled $200 million of sales. And so they're leaving potential revenue on the table. And so that was really the choice that places like Walmart, Costco, Target had to make. And Walmart and, and Target chose, let's get the sales when we know we can and deal with the fallout later. 
Yeah, that, so that's a fantastic call out right there because everybody, th- I mean, I guess maybe domestically, everybody thinks that the capacity is easing, but we still have these tremendous lead times and, and getting stuff into the United States right now. Are there any, uh, do you think that that's, I mean, I'm not an ocean expert by any means, but do you think that some of this demand side easing will help us contract those lead times back to where we can start to see a little bit more, I don't know, reliability? <laughs> in terms of the ordering cycle? Or do you think we're going to have to adapt to these expanded lead times? I think, it, I think it's volatile. Yeah. I, I, I actually think we're in a VUCA, V-U-C-A, VUCA economy. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So we, we've got uh, an incredible amount of change, more than any time in, in my whole career, and you can tell I'm old. Um, I'm standing next to my son who has a great beard, so you can tell I'm old. <laughs> but but uh, uh, this, I I think that we're going to keep seeing uh, new kinds of disruptions. If you look at a, a a chart of supply chain disruptions over the last ten years, it's amazing how much how much every single type of disruption has climbed uh, incredibly. Factory fires. In 2015, there was about 100 some. Uh, this past year, there was over 1,000 uh, globally. So, so I, I, I don't, I mean, I think the new normal is abnormal in some ways. I, I, I think you're going to continue to see um, uh, trying to be adaptive. Uh, you know, when in the, in, in the winter, Target and Walmart were asked by the Port of L.A., Hey, could you guys um, let us ship components to American manufacturers first? Prioritize those, and maybe your stuff sits on the dock a little bit longer. And um, Target and Walmart both agreed to 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 do that. And so we've we've had some incredible volatility that that has come from really un um, very surprising kind of. Um, uh, sources, I think. Yeah, man. So I want to. So you just made me have a, a, an epiphany. I want to have you guys back on uh, if you're both available. If not, you know, we'll we'll deal with it. But I want to have a discussion about adaptability strategies mm-hmm. in in this type of environment because you're saying that this is going to continue, and it's been something that I've been kind of, I don't know, talking about in terms of our own what we've seen. But I would love to hear like, and we don't have enough time. We only have about two minutes left today. To dig into this, but I want I want to expand on that thought of strategy for uh, dealing with the uh, volatility in the mm-hmm. supply chain. Well, it, yeah, it's it's way you see more and more companies going towards the portfolio model. Yeah, of we're gonna have a whole bunch of not only sources but ways to get things. Uh, yeah, so the strategies within the senior supply chain ranks in a lot of companies is we've got to really think about lots of types of diversity. We've got to think about about different kinds of suppliers. We also have to think about different locations of, of, of suppliers. Um, uh, I had a piece in Harvard Business Review last year about maybe we should have an America's solution. It can't replace China, but maybe we use low, um, uh, low-cost labor in Central America as a potential new China. China Costs are coming up. The crazy shipping costs. We, we don't have to cover all that, but but we, we need some. We need more diversity to deal with this global uncertainty. And there's likely to be more 
like hot conflicts like what we're seeing in Ukraine that has been very disruptive. In Africa, for example, I got a big project in Africa. And in, in Africa, the price of bread is up 60% in most uh, West Africa because of Ukraine. You wouldn't necessarily have anticipated that. Anyway. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time. Uh, so uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and, and of course, guys, we're, we're definitely going to have you back whenever you're available, obviously. Come back on the show. Uh, but yeah. You want to do 90 minutes next time? Do you think that would be <laughs> Well, I had another schedule thing that I had to do. Otherwise, we'd have done a full hour today. But anyway, I wanted to get you on and give you enough time. But thank you for joining us and thank you for watching. Everybody. Water.